We're almost to 200 episodes. We're over four years in, and I could not have done it without my Patreon supporters. So thank you so much to everyone who has helped in the past, who is currently helping, and who will help in the future to keep Podular Modcast going in its current capacity. If you would like to help keep the LEDs blinking over here at PodMod, please head over to patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. I am so excited that I can finally talk about Podular Modcast and Friends, the new vinyl coming out from Mystery Circles. The digital pre-order starts this Friday, April 1st, and it's this is no fool's joke. This is I'm, I'm, I'm not joshing around here. Side A, this is who we got. We got Lisa Belladonna, Space Racer, Lemon Jaya, Daedalus, and Sarah Bell Reed. And then side B uh, is me remixing all of their tracks. And what are these tracks? Well, you remember them from all of those names that I just said. Their last appearance on PodMod, they brought a patch to the show to talk about and perform for us. Well, that's on the record. And I remixed it and made it weird. So once again, April 1st, digital pre-order starts Mystery Circles. We got nice baby blue vinyl. The uh, the album art is crazy, thanks to my friend Kai. Um, and all the proceeds will be donated to charity. And I will be talking much more about this in future episodes, but let's get into this one. Welcome back to Podular Modcast. My name is Tim Held, and this week we are chatting with Patricia Wolf, and I'm super, super excited about this episode. We nerd out pretty hard about field recording um, because she uh, she did a very, very specific and very, very cool field recording project um, on the side of uh, an active volcano. So uh, that's all I'll say about that. We are going to talk a lot about that in a moment. And we're also going to talk about her um, her latest album, I'll Look For You and Others. Uh, it's it's based off some pretty heavy subject material, which we did not get into too, you know, too much um, in our chat. But I just want to read you a little bit of information from the press release about that so there's some context for the conversation. Patricia Wolf's I'll Look For You and Others is the bittersweet fruit of a painful time in the Portland, Oregon electronic musician's life. Patricia wrote and recorded the album in 2020 in the aftermath of losing her mother-in-law to cancer and then months later losing a close friend. Created using her habitual materials, synthesizer and voice, in unfamiliar ways, the album served as a means of processing her feelings of heartbreak. So we're going to talk about a little bit more of the, the, the process and gear side of that because, you know, it's just a really, really heavy topic to get into and... Um, and that's all I'll say about it. But it's a it's a great chat, um, and I'm going to play a track off of that album at the end of the episode. Um, but I highly recommend you go pick it up because it is fantastic. But before we get into this episode, I just want to thank Patchworks, our lovely synth shop here in the Pacific Northwest, for their continued support of the show. Uh, don't forget to head over to Patchworks.com for all of your synthesizer needs. That's P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. And uh, hey, while you're there, why don't you browse the amazing After Later audio products that they have? Um, I'm, I just can't get over how useful the carve is, um, and I love the dirty laundry. I've just been... I've been really uh, trying to 
use those two in conjunction with my kind of field recording stuff and uh, adding some grit and just some really cool movement to to the patches. So uh, yeah, I want to thank After Later Audio for their continued support of the show. Um, and if you uh, want to check out all of their their products, you can go to Patchworks or you can go to AfterLaterAudio.com. Also, while I have your attention here, before we get into the chat, I want to tell you about a show at the Ambient Church in Portland that um, our guest this week will be playing on April 8th, 7 p.m. Uh, are the Doors 8 p.m. show, and she will be playing with Chihei Hatakayama, which um, Chihei made one of my favorite ambient albums. Um, it's one of like my go-tos when I really, really want the uh, like the most relaxing music that I can think of, I think. This, uh, this album is the one. And that album is called You're Still In It, and it's on Constellation Tatsu Records. Um, it came out in 2016, so I've been listening to this album way before I got into modular, and I still go back to it. It's really good, so I'll put a link to that in the show description. And finally, I did mention that I'm doing a new podcast that I'll be releasing hopefully hopefully in the next couple months um, about movies with my friend Devin Riley, and it's a pretty, it's, it's really fun. Um, we've already recorded a couple episodes, and I want you to make the theme song for it, so I'm still open to submissions um, for, for theme, theme music for a movie podcast. Uh, this, the podcast is called um, All Detours Are Welcome, and uh, yeah, if you keep it around a minute 30... That's that's pretty much all I ask. So if you wanna if you wanna try try out for that, <laughs> uh, send it into uh, podmodcast at gmail.com. That's all the news for this week. Thanks again for coming back to Podular Modcast. Let's chat with Patricia Wolf. All right. Well, Patricia, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, this, it's actually kind of cool. I don't usually record in the evenings, and it, it feels kind of good to do it after my brain's been going all day. So, yeah, I, I sometimes I do them pretty early in the morning because of time differences, and I find myself being like, uh, I had something to say. Um, I'm not guaranteeing that won't happen this time, but, uh, yeah, but thank you and welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks um, for having me. Absolutely. So... I don't know where to start. I say that at the beginning of almost every episode. I'm sure people are tired of hearing it, but um, I think, well, here's where I, I will start. I found out about uh, you and your music through um, my friend Austin, uh, our Benny. He, yeah. He posted a picture of him holding your your record um, and uh, the one, uh, I'll look for you and others. And I kind of take whatever, you know, if Austin suggests something, then I'm, I know I'm going to like it. So I went and listened and really, really dug what I was hearing, but I was instantly pulled to your Mount St. Helens field recordings. Um, I'm super into field recording lately and, uh, especially nature. And, um, I love going in the mountains. So like, I would love to just talk about how, why, when, and yeah, what, what was the deal with that? With the Mount St. Helens project. So now I have two different sets of recordings from mm -hmm. two different trips to Mount St. Helens. And that came about through my friend, Jaren. Um, and he, 
is dating a, a geologist and educator who works for the Mount St. Helens Institute. And he knows that I love, to, I love field recording. I would consider myself pretty new to it. I started doing it in 2019, um, okay. but I've learned a lot since then and still have a lot more to learn, but it's a passion. And um, his partner, Gina, um, she is working on a virtual field trip for elementary school students who can't come to Mount St. Helens and learn at the site. Um, she wants to teach kids from all around the world about this wonderful place. And she's got some 360 video or um, images of specific areas um, where the blast occurred like because it was a lateral blast, it didn't just shoot straight up, it went out mm -hmm. the side. Um, it concentrated a lot of the destruction on the north side of the mountain. And so that whole area was completely destroyed. And in some areas, I think buried under hundreds and hundreds of feet of debris that came off the mountain. Mm -hmm. And a lot of ecologists thought, oh, this is probably not gonna recover for a really long time. But um, what they found was within weeks, life started to come back slowly. And there's a really beautiful story behind that, that she's telling her and um, her colleagues at the Mount St. Helens Institute, and they needed some recordings to make this whole um, environment more immersive. And so I went out there with my Rode NTSF-1 ambisonic microphone to get some um, 3D soundscapes of the various sites that we went to that are featured in the field trip to let let kids hear what it sounds like there, hear all the life that has returned to this place that was destroyed in this eruption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, these recordings are teeming with life, I'd say, a lot of them. Um, it's just... I, you know, I just told you before we started recording, I moved from Seattle to Tacoma recently, and um, the, my old apartment was really, really noisy. We were really close to the airport and Boeing Field and all this. There's all these reasons why it was so noisy, but it was so many noises that it just became this kind of wall of white noise. And I find myself missing it when I'm here because we actually live in a relatively quiet neighborhood. Um, and now the a car driving by is noticeable when it was just, you know, a car driving by was nothing. That was just a... And uh, so I used to love going to bed and just lay there and listening to the album of my apartment. <laughs> and now I can't do that. So I've actually been listening to your field recordings to fall asleep. Um, so thank you for that. Oh, I'm happy to hear that. I have a friend who says he likes to go running to them. Um, he oh. lives kind of near a noisy road um but there's like in his neighborhood there's a lot of really big old trees so he can sort of like look up while he's running and imagine he's in the forest and then he listens <laughs> to the field recordings yeah and he pretends he's in the forest running i love that that's so cool um yeah it's i've, I've been up to mount st helens a couple times um i remember going up pretty i was pretty young so it was you know it was probably i mean geez it probably only 14 years after the explosion. I was born in 84. It blew up in 80. Yeah. And I think I was there when I was 10. So I remember it just looking crazy and like not a lot of life and trees still in the big lake and, and everything. And, uh, just going up during COVID, my wife and I, you know, just so bored, wanted something to do. And we went up there and I was blown away with how much more life there was. Um, yeah. since I'd last been, it's pretty crazy. 
Yeah, it's really a beautiful story. Um, there's a lot written about it in a lot of cool videos just because it's one of the most ecologically studied sites in the world because it's one of the few examples of its type um, where people can look at like a larger time scale because I don't know it's there's a lot that goes into it I don't I don't want to talk too much about it because I'm definitely not an expert on that but um, it definitely revealed a lot to scientists that they hadn't known before for instance um, before the eruption there were all these um, conifer evergreen trees mm -hmm. and those all got blasted out but what came back were I think they're birch trees or it's a different it's a completely different type of tree and they don't wow. live for very long they live like 40 years um and which you know it's coming up on on it's i'm not quite sure when those trees came up like in the time scale of the recovery but mm -hmm. it was about 41 years ago that the eruption occurred and so their life cycle is coming to an end if they started growing around that time wow. and so they'll die and like what'll come next so you just right, see this like right. new layer yeah. of life and you're like is this how it be is this a cycle that is a larger cycle that we just haven't been able to record at least not like the you know western science um mm -hmm. um with you know the human records that are recognized i'm sure there you know there's indigenous um records of that but sadly it's not often listened to right but yeah. um yeah it's just interesting just to like look at this larger time scale that is so far beyond like what our history as human uh you know with the scientific i guess um community can understand or know mm -hmm. but yeah I, and on kind of uh on that point it, i was I was wondering, you know, as you know, as my wife and I plan this trip to go up there, like, why haven't I been up there more often? I, you know, I've been around Mount Rainier. I, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the mountains, and when I got up there, I realized, well, there's not a lot of access to areas of the mountain, and especially no camping or anything, because it is they're like keeping it closed um, to, you know, so pe so it can so it can recover without human intervention. Um, or excuse me, like humans screwing anything up. But well, I think it's on... ma mainly because it's still active and nobody uh -huh. really wants to build. I think there might actually be like a some sort of law or restriction against building homes um, within a certain range of the mountain because it is active and you know it will erupt again and be in the path. Um, so yeah, it's when you go out there you go for quite a long distance without seeing mm -hmm. any homes or any shops or gas stations or anything. Like it feels pretty remote up there. Yeah, it de definitely does. Um, yeah. It's so it's weird to think that, let's see, uh, Baker, Glacier Peak, Rainier, Adams, sorry, I'm counting on my fingers. Uh, St. Helens, did I get them all? Five active volcanoes in just Washington state. And I think Oregon has... I think as many or a couple less. It's just crazy to think of how many actually active volcanoes there are. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> Mount Hood um, down here too, which Mount is Hood, yeah. you know the, probably the closest to Portland. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the sisters. I think the three sisters are all active as well. That's mm -hmm. a beautiful area if you if you haven't been. Um, so I'm curious on this this like that's so cool by the way. Like talk about like right place, right time as far as like who who you're friends with uh, i mean what a cool opportunity to have like somebody hey we need this done i know you do it like is that kind of how it went yeah he my friend jaron heard and i've collaborated with him on a sound design project um he um his 
company civic platform um he's the art director of it and they do a lot of um, civic related projects and one of them was about earthquake preparedness and it was a video game for kids to teach them how to how to prepare and respond to an earthquake in portland Whoa, and okay. i did all the music and sound design for it and so he knew i was into that sort of thing and um and then his partner needed like a sound element to a project she was working on so he put us together and yeah it worked out really nicely and we're all good friends and so cool. um really nice like she, she showed me around she's always up there she knows that area like it's i don't know, like it's her home mm -hmm. and yeah it's always really nice i'm hoping you can get back there again soon so when you went up there, were you allowed to camp out or did you like have a bunkhouse up there by the, the, the visitor center or, or like what was the what was the structure of the actual uh, excursion? Well, there isn't. I don't think there's any official camping for the public, but for the people that work there, well, there's a building for the Mount St. Helens Institute and there are bunks in there. But for whatever reason, I think the first time when I went, it was May 2021. Um, and there was still snow on the ground in certain mm -hmm. areas and we just camped outside. Nice. Um, yeah. And I think it was because nobody was vaccinated yet. And we, I don't know, I think there might've been like, I think it was forbidden by the company to like camp or to like stay in the lodge. That so yeah. yeah, we just pitched a tent and had, um, you know, really good camping gear for the weather. Um, and it was great because you know, you're very aware of your environment. And mm -hmm. also there's this thing that um, Gina calls the plow. I don't know if that's an official terminology, but when as a human being, you enter into a natural environment where the animals and the plant life are very much attuned to the life in the movement and the energy that's in the space. Like when you enter into it, you kind of plow through and it kind of mm -hmm. freaks everything out. So. <laughs> yeah. For us as human beings to have been there like the whole time, like the animals were already aware of us. They were, we were at like an equilibrium with each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we could just start to hear the first birds make their sounds. The first thing I heard was actually this grouse and there were two grouse on either side of me. And I was like waking up and I could hear the grouse like in stereo. <laughs> so um, cool. They do this like low, if you've listened on headphones to um, Life on Smoking Mountain One, um, mm. I did manage to record the grouse sounds. It's when I first heard it, I thought that something was wrong with my equipment because it <laughs> doesn't sound like a natural sound because uh -huh. it's a low frequency sound. It sounds like an LFO that's like slowly or quickly. It starts like slow, and then mm. it speeds up, and it just sounds like so electronic. Wow, that's so yeah. Cool. I know gra it, so grouse have scared the shit out of me a number of times walking through the woods because they're always on the the ground and when they fly off it's just like the craziest whooshing like yeah it's pretty the, did you did you uh scare some grouse and and get freaked out No they mm. were never super close I never saw one until I went back in July and I saw one just kind of like hanging out on like a guardrail on the side mm. of the road um, but aside from that, I hear them, but I don't see them and they are really good at blending into the environment. Yeah. And that's why they're so scary because you can just walk right up on them. And then all of a sudden <laughs> they'll just burst into something like that happened to me on a camping trip years ago. And I, it didn't like jump up in front of me, but it 
just suddenly appeared on the trail and it was so close. I'm like, I could have grabbed this thing, you know? Like, yeah. I used to work for the, I worked for the forest service for two summers in a row when I was uh, in, in undergraduate school doing um, like field archeology, span just basically surveying and just walking through the, the woods in a grid uh, shooting a bearing on a compass and just going back and forth. And uh, so many times it scared the crap out of me. And, and now it's so funny. We're talking about field recording and grouse because I scared one when I was last in the woods and I was like, I have to get the field recorder and walk through the woods because I want to get that sound as they're flying away from you. It's just like, I don't know. It's just, it has this weird kind of, it's not the Doppler effect. Cause I think that's when it comes towards you and past you but it's got this very strange like whooshing whooping like deep thing that just like kind of fades out as it gets away from you i don't know it's it's really cool yeah i hope you can catch that sound <laughs> me too um so how many days were you up there the first trip well unfortunately for both trips i was only there for like a 24-hour period for each time um okay. It was, I would love, I would love to stay like a week and really get to know the place because there is that whole like plow thing where, you know, we had to move to, we had like 24 hours. I woke up at like 5 a.m., you know, from the camp. And then we went from site to site like pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and I understand that like for practical reasons, like it just had to be done that way to be on the schedule with Gina and she was my guide through the sites. Um, but I think now that I know that area pretty well, um, I would love to just go and spend a week and just really, you know, get as close as I can to mm -hmm. the environment and get in tune with it and um, just really spend a long time. I think one of my battery packs can last like 22 hours oh, for, nice. my, for my field recording. So I could really just spend a lot of time up there and... Um, and just maybe cap capture some really magical moments because yeah, when you like drive up to an area, I'm sure that scares a lot of animals away. And so you miss, you miss whatever yeah. they might be saying or doing. Well, especially out there where there's, I mean, there is human activity and some hiking trails and stuff, but it's, it's as far as like, you know, the cascades go in Washington state, it's probably one of the, one of the less, lesser populated people, uh, populated areas by people or visiting people. So they're probably even more freaked out by our presence up there. Um, but yeah, what a great, what a cool project. Um, and is that, is that like, have they used this stuff already or is it kind of in process of being made? I think it's still in the process. Um, I think there were some, some mismatches where the, some of, they'd already taken some, um, 360 photographs, of certain sites, but then the time of year and then the weather was mm -hmm. not quite matching up. Like on the first trip in May, it happened to start raining, but in the picture it's not raining. And so that didn't quite like make sense. Mm -hmm. And I think, and then we went back in July of 2021 and did more. And I think that maybe they're just trying to match what they think fits best with each image or maybe getting new images. I'm not sure, but I don't think it's finished quite yet. Well, hopefully they give you another call and say, Hey, you know, we do need you to come out for a week. <laughs> yeah. I would be um, into it. Yeah. I I'm my, my plan for the summer, my wife and I try to camp as often as possible and get out in the woods. So my plan for the summer is to try to uh, just do as much recording as I can. Um, 
but yeah, I, I really got the bug lately. I, I bought a hydrophone and I got a geophone. Um, and just, I just got a new shotgun mic and a new actual new field recorder because Austin, uh, showed me his and I was like, Oh, I, I got to get that one. Um, so yeah, <laughs> excuse I, me. I, um, it's just, it's so crazy how you can get, uh, it's crazy how you can get a new, not a new, I don't know. It's, I've been walking around my neighborhood with my field recorder and just like getting to know the sounds, like the everyday sounds, like doing the same walk with a field recorder. And I don't know, there's something just like so intimate about listening in when you have directional mics and really, you know, really powerful equipment and getting to know the sounds because I feel like we just kind of take them for granted. We're, we're so visual. Um, I don't know. So to get to know an area like that must have been really special. Yeah, every time I'm out field recording and I have my headphones on and that mic turns on and I can get the gain, you know, just right, all of a sudden I have this super human hearing. Mm -hmm. And you just get into the state of hyper awareness or everything becomes hyper real. And mm -hmm. I thought I find it to be a very meditative situation because you're no longer taking for granted or mm -hmm. um all of a sudden everything is just so much more alive and you're just waiting and you're so attentive to what's happening you just have this like awareness of right now and that's a really special feeling to have um i think it's really good for mental health too mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. if you want to take your mind off of something like i think going on a walk with a field recorder and just like really deeply listening to the sounds around you is a really nice activity yeah and it's, and it's passive total yeah 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 i i love that i i feel the same way it's it is very meditative and i think even like it i think it, i love the passive aspect of it but there's also like this aspect that kind of like kind of um it's you get a little, uh, you start to get curious. So what you're hearing starts kind of dict like leading you in certain ways, you know, like, like I'll, I'll, I usually walk this way, but the sounds I, that I hear that I want to find out what they are or want to explore more are that way. And then I don't know, it kind of makes you, it, it, it turns on the cur the curious part of your brain in a way that I think is unexpected the first time that you get in that environment. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I were camping and I had it and I'm like pointing around and she's kind of, you know, like, you know, in a fun way, like making fun of me, you know, oh, you're such a dork and stuff. And I'm like, you should try this. And then I gave it to her. And then for the next half hour, she's walking around the, the campsite with it. And just like, she's looking over at me all, you know, bright eyed, like, whoa, this is cool. And I'm like, yeah, I told you this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a very special thing. Every time I've read uh, like an account of a, of a recordist, of their first experience, it's always so imbued with a sense of wonder of the world. Like it just makes you feel like new and in, mm -hmm. in your environment. And I really hope everybody gets a chance to experience that at some point. I've often wondered if it would be a good way for people to work through some kind of dispute where, you know, people are not really listening to each other anymore. They have this like set idea in their heads of like what this person's going to say or do or what they think or feel. And they're no longer really listening. They just have this concept that's like a block that they refuse to like let, you mm -hmm. know, be a living, changing thing. Like if you have 
people who are in conflict about something like maybe it's, you know, some kind of relationship conflict, like, I wonder how it would go if like people had like field recording equipment on with each other and and they're just like talking (laughs) and they're just like really listening. Like, I wonder what that does, like if it might shift their minds around a little bit and they might actually hear the person. Yeah, I I like that's an interesting idea because, I mean, at first, when you first present it, it sounds pretty esoteric and kind of kind of odd. But I I, I like that idea and I think it would be a good idea because when I record, like I, I don't do very many, especially since the pandemic, but like in-person podcasts with the field recorder, I go somewhere and meet somebody or something. I always bring headphones for them and they're like, you know, kind of like why, you know, a lot of the times, why would I need these? And I'm like, because it, it, it changes the dynamic because you and I, like for the next hour, we are just giving each other our undivided attention. And this is, this, this helps you lock into that. And then, you know, most people who wear them during it are like, oh yeah, this, this is cool and different. So yeah, I I could see that. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. You become more aware of what you're saying instead of just being impulsive. And Mm -hmm. I think that might occur with the same with another person and so maybe it could break through some like communication problems but i don't know i've never experienced that and it'd be interesting to talk to a a psychologist or therapist about that yeah it would be hard though if like if if like you're you're arguing about who did the dishes last or something you're like okay hold on let me get the let me get the field recorder out let's let's sit down and talk talk it out um it's or use it as ev- for evidence of something. <laughs> yeah, that's another use. Like, because people will not realize they said or did something, mm-hmm. and but then you can show them. Well, actually, yeah. Like, look, <laughs> yeah, you did. So that's another use of the field recorder. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, this this actually there was there this kind of made me go in another direction, and now I'm doing the thing that I said I wasn't going to do at the beginning, and I'm blanking. But oh, I think. I feel like uh, something I've been thinking about a lot lately is how, um, well, really since I got into modular synthesis, but it's kind of popping up again with field recording and I've been painting a lot, Um, just how your artistic practice or your artistic output, um, like what that does to your actual uh, behavior and, and personality and, and like the positive, the positive, uh, aspect that it has, you know, through like some transitive property or something. But this, this, this idea is like a, a very practical, like hands-on <laughs> approach to it. Um, but yeah, I don't like the thing with the meditative, with, with the, uh, the, with the field recording and everything. And, and it makes now, even without a field recorder, I find that I, I'm listening to my environment in a totally different way. Um, do you find that after this, you know, after getting into that? Oh, yeah, I'm very sensitive to sounds now. I think between having done some um, sound design projects where, you know, you really listen deeply to what Mm -hmm. you're creating um, and field recording, I'm like very aware of sounds and it's it could be really distracting for me sometimes. (laughs) Like I yeah. and it, it makes me really sad too for like how many factory sounds and car sounds like we have to hear all the time and also like how that affects animals that have no control over any of that and how it affects them and mm-hmm. um 
makes me want to be quieter in the world unless I <laughs> yeah. really have something I need to say, you know, right. Yeah. A little more intentional. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I've been finding like, so with the, um, I think being into field recording made me make peace and then turn out to really enjoy my very loud city apartment in Seattle. Um, so I try to take like a, a middle path with that, like enjoy the nature sounds when I'm out there, but, um, but trying to enjoy the, uh, the industrial type sounds, but it is, it takes a lot more effort to enjoy those. I, I have to admit. Um, but yeah, I, so yeah, we went, we went to San Francisco not that long ago and, you know, my wife and friend were out, you know, enjoying the nice backyard with the lemon tree and, you know, just like being in San Francisco. And I was just like sitting at the window with my shotgun mic, like recording these birds and just like, this is sounds so cool here. And it's, it's funny how like it can just totally take over, um, like what you're doing in the space that you're in. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I need to prove anymore how much of a field recording nerd I am during this conversation. <laughs> well, it's it's definitely a very exciting thing to do, and I'm glad that you're enthusiastic about it and how more people do it. It's... I want to talk about, yeah, definitely. I want to encourage, yeah, I, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it'd be hard to hear this conversation that you and I are having and not want to go try it if you haven't, you know? For sure. Um, so I want to talk about setup because I've got such a nerdy thing. I've got like a pistol grip for mine with a shotgun mic mount. And then I've got the two little, uh, you know, uh, little mics that plug into the the top of the, the my task cam. And then I put extra wind socks on those. So it's just, I, and then with my big headphones, I look like a, a mad, a maniac walking down the street. Like, do you have, uh, like, what's your setup like? And what do you, like, do you, do you feel like people are always like looking at you? Like, what the hell is going on over there? Well, um, I've been mostly using the Rode NTSF-1 Ambisonic mic, and then I have the Sound Devices Mixpre 62 and nice. a little Orca bag that it sits in. It's like, you know, mounted into it. And I I don't know. I don't think I look too weird. Um, no, not very often people bother me. Um, and I try to go to locations where I'm not going to see anybody. Mm. Um, but yeah, I have a, a stand for it, a tripod, and um, that's mostly what I've been using. Um, I did, I do have a hydrophone, but so far, the only thing I've used it for was to um, capture the sound of ants crawling. Oh, I don't really? No, yeah. <laughs> so I use it more like a contact mic. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that's on my Life on Smoking Mountain 2 recordings okay. that are on my band camp and it's the very last track and it sounds very different because it's more of like an abstraction of it it's you know they don't really make mm -hmm. much of an acoustic sound although you can still hear a little bit of their marching feet on the dried grasses but it's quiet but with the hydrophone when they're crawling on it it's like uh it's it's more of like you're it sounds crunchy and um I don't know. It's you have to check it out. It's hard oh, to yeah. describe. Yeah. yeah, I haven't. I saw you just recently released that one, um, and I haven't checked that one out yet. Um, what did you just like? Did you put it in an ant hill, or did you just set it on the ground by a bunch of ants, or what did you do with it? Yeah, I set it on an ant hill, and they just you know they're crawling all over it. So eventually, they got onto the contact mic, and you can hear them like walking across it. 
<laughs> it sounds kind of staticky, uh -huh. but I... it's, yeah, it's interesting because it still lightly picks up a little bit of the sound that's not like what it's coming in contact with. Like there's a frog pond behind it and you can hear a little bit of the frogs getting picked up in the mic. Okay. Just faintly. Okay. It's a strange recording, but I like it. It's more abstract. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's those those mics are so cool, but I'm I'm learning I've learned since getting it that there's not a lot that goes on underwater. <laughs> well, but, I uh, listened to the first track on the you sent me a link to mm -hmm. one of your recent releases. Um mm -hmm. and you got some um sea lions, right? Yeah, yeah. That was so cool. So did you did you use the hydrophone to record them or was that I did, yeah. That's so that's like the reason I got it is for situations like that. And luckily, you know, for some reason these California sea lions, they came way deeper into the Puget Sound than they usually do, or way further south. And they this whole like a couple pods probably. There were hundreds of them out in this out in the Puget Sound down by the Golden Gardens Park. But they posted up on this this it was weird. It's like a it's this dock that is as wide as a sidewalk but probably a hundred feet long and it's like on a it just is on like 50 gallon barrels so it would just like roll back and forth and it was hilarious because these these sea lions kept jumping on and every time a new one would jump on it would like offset the balance and they'd all start freaking out and barking and then they'd <laughs> jump into the water um but underwater they make all sorts of crazy noises um but their bark their barking is incessant and can be annoying so that 20 minute clip I is is basically like a, a quilt that I put together out of hours of recording kind of like the greatest hits because it's just if I use just the recording it was just and it's like, oh, I can't really do much with this um I thought yeah. you mixed it quite nicely I liked it a lot yeah Thank I understand you. like I don't mind those kinds of sounds um for instance I've recorded a lot of geese and duck sounds and those are not considered you know to be the most pleasant mm -hmm. sounding birds but um I don't mind it but um but I understand like a lot of people can only take those sounds in small doses but I I yeah. liked how you managed to work those sounds in with the other with the um modular synthesis and the other Thanks. sounds that yeah it was really pleasant i actually like took a, like a little nap to it earlier today it was really oh, nice cool. yeah <laughs> thanks yeah that's i mean that's i'm trying to find you know a creative way to use them i mean i i also am very interested in just collecting sounds and releasing um you know albums like like yours just like these are the unadulterated sounds um but it's yeah it's pretty fun to just kind of see what they what happens when you run them through certain effects and and uh you know and 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 it kind of inspired those melodies I, I i played synth to it later you know and like just added all these different parts to it later and it was it was really cool to use it as a muse you know like what is what is this going to pull out of me um yeah i don't know i just I, it's it's been it's been cool to try to find ways of collaborating with nature and let it be the the primary driver of uh of whatever i'm producing sonically um but where was i going with that but yeah you can find other areas where you drop it in and, and not much happens uh <laughs> same thing with the geophone they're like they're both so cool and powerful but they have to be in the right environment um so they don't get they don't get used as much as just like a shotgun mic or something but um they're, they're good to have in the arsenal for sure yeah it could be interesting to mix the two together like simultaneously record 
um the same situation like one with a shotgun mic and then um the other mic could be a geophone like i'm not sure like what kind of um event you would want to record with that but um i think i don't know i was recently i watched all the behind the scenes of the lord of the rings movies Mm -hmm. like super long you know every particular like topic that could be explored about the making of those films was included and there was a whole sound design part and there was a section where they needed to get the um sound people needed to get the sounds of like i think in the war they were like um catapulting like giant like pieces of the castle or whatever like out Mm -hmm. and they needed to get those like impact sounds and so they actually got like a big crane and like lifted like huge i think maybe like concrete blocks or boulders or something like really high up and then just let them drop and yeah i would think it'd be cool to do a combination of like a geophone like stuck in the earth like near it so you get the like i don't know just you pick up those vibrations Mm -hmm. um and also you know like the the impacts the, the sounds like with other mics just yeah, yeah, just really have it fleshed out, like, and blended together. Yeah, that's it's so funny you bring that up because that's like something that I've been um, trying to kind of plan in my head is is exactly that, like find an environment where I can go underwater. Um, with the geophone, I was thinking if I could find a like if it was windy enough or find a big enough tree and a, a place where I could stick because it comes with this little spike. I don't want to put a hole in a tree, but if I can find one that has a hole in it, um, you know, put that in there and get the creaking of that with the walks, whatever's going on underwater, and then also stereo mics and like a, a few, like a, a shotgun mic pointing at a specific thing. And just like, what does this area sound like from all these different perspectives? Um, I, I really like the idea of that. Um, and my friend has this, my friend has two grand pianos in his house. It's ridiculous. He just got a new one. So now the old one is in his bedroom and there are two back doors to his house and one is closer to his bedroom and one's closer to the living room where the other piano is. So I was thinking it would be really cool to get like mics outside and point like shotgun mics into the two back doors and then have me and him like slowly improvise like within the same key on a piano, but with also the outside sounds or something. I don't know. I'm always thinking of different like schemes of how I can set things up. It's it's pretty fun. Yeah, that sounds like a really great idea. I'd also like to do some sort of like um like art installment where people had their own field recorders and walked like a certain path through uh an environment or something and like set up an environment that was conducive to that or something, but that would take a lot of money because you'd need a lot of field recorders. Yeah, I mean if you had those little um those little like zoom handheld recorders you know those aren't that expensive that's true yeah yeah and you might have enough people in the community who would be willing to like loan them out you know if you got registration you know from Mm -hmm. the participants so that you know it's kind of like you're renting these out um and please return them when you're done and they're pretty easy to use um Mm -hmm. for if if some of the participants are new Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I bet you could do it. Sounds like a good project for writing a grant for. Yeah, I was just, wow. I think you just gave me like the final piece. Like that was a, that's a really, thank you. <laughs> Please pardon the interruption, but I would like to tell you about Tiny Crush Mixing. 
I've told you about Tiny Crush Mixing in the past, so let me give you some, uh, some quotes from the testimonials page over there at Tiny Crush Mixing. If you want someone who is technically savvy with a heart of gold, Hugo is your guy. Um, and that was said by Amulets. How about this one? The solid mixes I hear are proof that it is the right recommendation. Nathan Moody. So he's got the Moody stamp of approval and Amulets. I don't think I need to go on as far as the testimonials go, but um, how about this? Hugo has the technical side down. Have you ever heard of the SWN from 4MS? Well, he helped develop that. He's uh, contributed to a Nobel Prize winning project. He has a master's degree in, uh, you know, sound, basically, all things sound. He specializes in synth and modular music. He understands the aesthetics and challenges that come with our craft firsthand. Um, he's has his own records out on Jack Tone Records, Beacon Sound. Um, he has experience with writing and and touring. He's a label mate with Terry Riley and Amulets. He's been reviewed by Accelerator, Fact Magazine, Resident Advisor, um, and he cares about your work and vision, and he provides uncompromising quality. He gets the job done so you can focus on planning your next move, whether that's a tour, your release, PR, whatever that is. And I will say, as somebody who mixes my own music, that I don't want to mix my own music anymore. Um, I want... I want Hugo to mix my music because there's just something that is invaluable really about having a a second pair of ears on on your mix because I think a lot of the time we are too close to our own stuff. Um, so it's hard to make the right decisions and sometimes, you know, you'll work on a mix for hours and hours and get at the end and you're not even convinced that it sounds better. Oftentimes you're like, I think I made it worse. So why not just hand it over to somebody who is professional? I kind of look at it like painting your house or re-roofing your house or something like, yeah, sure, you can do it, but why not hire somebody who like, well, that's their job. <laughs> if that's their job and that's their trade, they're going to do it better than you, you know? And when you're releasing yourself, really, when you're releasing your music, you're releasing a part of yourself or soul. Don't you want it to be as accurate and solid and impactful and all other really really cool adjectives me too tinycrushmixing.com let's talk about your music too um because that's how i actually got familiar with you or, or what was notified about about you um i'm curious like what i just want to get nerdy for a minute like what what kind of gear do you use to make your music well, um, it really just kind of depends on what I'm feeling inspired to work with. Mm -hmm. um, but I do have my old standbys. Like um, I have been using the Novation Summit pretty oh, frequently. Nice. Um, I did. So I've done three projects with Novation, two sound design projects, one for Peak and then Summit. Mm -hmm. And um, I just got to know those synths so well, and I still continue to use them in my music. And I also have a, um, a no coast um, and I use that pretty frequently. I've been really using my um, Alpha Juno a lot. Okay. I, I have a new album that's coming out uh, in May and it'll be announced this Friday. Oh, cool. But 
Um, the song that's premiering is actually not using the Juno. That both of the the patches that I I created for that song are both from Summit. Okay. But um, yeah, I I've been using a lot of my field recordings in my work, and just like you mentioned, like I'll hear a recording and then just feel really inspired by it, and then I kind of soundtrack it. Mm -hmm. um, so the, yeah, there's some songs that are like that. Um, sometimes I sing. I during the pandemic, I got a little bit more familiar with using plugins, and on my I don't use well. I I started using soft synths actually on my new album, but it's not like entirely that. I think there's just two songs, and I just mm -hmm. wanted to try something new. Okay. And but with I'll look for you and others, I started using these. Um, do you know the Michael Norris um, spectral sound? No, I'm not from audio with unit. That. It's free. So maybe you can I don't know if you use Mac. I think it's only available for Mac at this time. Mm -hmm. But um, it's totally free. And it's this audio unit with all these different little devices inside that do like um, various types of spectral processing. And there's all these controls within it. And with all of you and others, um, I really got inspired using those. Um, and I hadn't really worked with anything like that before. Um, most of what I do is like hardware based, but I kind of got bored with my setup and I didn't want to, you know, with the pandemic and like being freaked out about money and stuff. I'm like, I'm not going to buy any new gear. So I just started like looking at the tools that were available to me already, like in Ableton um, and looking for like free, um, free tools that I could use. And um, I came across that and I really loved it and I'm still using it a little bit, but yeah, I'm not like a, I'm not set in doing a particular thing, but for the long, for the longest time, I was mostly like a hardware based person, but that's really changed. And since the pandemic, I'm like more of a hybrid person now. Okay. That's funny. It usually goes the opposite way. That's, it's, it's interesting to hear a story where people go from like hardware into soft sense. Um, but like, you know, like practicality came into play and it sounds like you like made the best of the situation. Um, and this album, I just, I love this album. I, it's funny. I've, I listened to it in the morning often. I was listening to it the other morning and my wife was like, uh, she's like, this is fantastic. I feel like I'm at like, like a, a spa or something. And, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's such, well, actually here's, here, this is what I want to say about this album. I feel like it is kind of like it, it hits all the tick marks for me for like a for like an ambient uh just for, for well just for yeah for an ambient album because i feel like it it like it moves it moves very slow but deliberately and it's very very nice and soft at places but like before you know it you're kind of veering into this almost kind of anxiety kind of place but it, it can it pulls you out of it as well like it has such a beautiful arc and it's some you do on this album something that i feel like i've been trying to do and and haven't figured out and that's how to like stay like i i don't want to use the word simple because it's not it's not simple music it's like you're you're using simple ideas or motifs or something to actually like execute something that's pretty complex and that you get more of more out of 
um, with each listen. Um, and yeah, I don't, I, I, that's, I think that's, I think I, I lost steam because uh, I'm rambling, but <laughs> um, yeah, I love this album. Um, I was wondering like what some of your influences like musically are and um, yeah, and, and like were you listening to anything in particular while recording this? Well, gosh, I I really don't know um, what to say because I, that whole album was written at a time where I was extremely depressed and mm. it was kind of like, it was just this, this, it was more of like a project where I'm like, I need to just keep doing something that I, that I like to do in my life because I was just feeling like every day was like pretty painful to try to get through. You know, I was like impatiently like, oh, like, when am I going to stop feeling so absolutely miserable all the time? And um, I'm like, I just need to try to do the things that I used to like to do. Like before the pandemic, I would play a lot of shows and see friends and, um, you know, write new sets each time I would play a show. So I was like always with my gear, always, you know, very, very connected to it. And I tried to do that again, but I just I just didn't like anything. I didn't like it anymore. It didn't mean anything to me. It didn't excite me. I wasn't inspired by it. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't really listen to much music then either. Um, I don't, I can't really say that anything in particular inspired me other than it was, um, it was kind of like trying to get back to my old style of music and like create again. But it was me taking what I was doing before and then processing a lot of it through these um spectral processors so it was kind of like a just this experiment and it was really tied to i think what really made it um special for me was that everything about my life had been disrupted by the death and by the loss and just the strange things happening in our world and it just sort of connected to me how everything had changed and I, I really related to what was happening with my music when I would process it through the the spectral processors um but I I don't I'm sure countless other artists have used it you know but I mm -hmm. honestly haven't come across anything that I would recognize as being that um okay but I, I listen to a lot of music now and I did before, but at the time I don't, I can't say that I was influenced by anything in particular. It was just really me. I don't okay. know, trying to continue working. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I usually don't ask about like influences, especially like on a particular thing, but like, but like I said, I feel like you just really, you really nailed, you really nailed like all the criteria for a great ambient album. Like, I've made a bunch of ambient tracks or albums, you know, like, and it's, and I'm always searching for the thing that I think that you really nailed on this. And that's why I was like, this is a, were you, like, are you a student of ambient music or yeah, I was just kind of curious. Um, Cause I, I think also like you, you have a really good way of introducing like for lack of a better word, uh, hooks in into it, but they're not digested on the first few listens. It's like by the third time you're like, oh, I know this song, you know, like I know this, but like, like your pacing and everything is just, it's just really, really well done. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why I asked about the influences and the gear. Um, 
It sounds like the that that spectral thing. Like you know, I'm I'm wishing they made it for PC because that sounds like a lot of fun to use. Well, it might actually be available for PC now. I know that that's it's an ongoing project that he wants to make um, available for other platforms. So maybe by now it is. But yeah, there's other there's other um, plugins that that do spectral processing, and I don't remember the name of it. But somebody wrote to me a while back asking me if I was using that. And it wasn't that, but then I like went through and checked out some of the demos and it sounded fantastic. So it's, I think you can, you know, get similar results with other tools. And I'm okay. sure there's modular, I'm sure there's like modular um, units that you can probably do a similar thing with too, but. Yeah, I'm always looking for some, some new like effect that I can process sound with. I'm, I'm not, I'm not that interested lately or I haven't really been historically either, but in writing sequences or writing actual songs on modular equipment, I'd much rather play them on an instrument um, and use the the modular for, you know, controlling effects and controlling different aspects of of something that I'm physically playing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I need to look more into that. Usually, um, I just I have an octatrack, and I'll usually just like write in some MIDI melodies that and send that to my various synths. Like I have, like I mentioned before, like the I usually hand play stuff on my summit, and then I have the peak, and so so I could send like MIDI notes to the peak and no coast, and I have a um, a Boomstar three thousand three, and oh, I'm not sure what that is. It's like a um, studio electronics um, synth, and it's it's pretty cool. I think it has like chips from the 303 and like I think a Micromoog in it. Sounds okay. pretty cool. Yeah, it's a mono synth. Um, has some. I really like it. It's kind of like gritty and powerful. Um, and I have like the um, Red Panda Particle Two pedal, which oh, is really yeah. fun to process things through. Like you, and that's that's like peppered throughout my work too. Like you might've heard it on a couple of the, um, I look for you and others. Okay. Album. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've always been very, very interested in the red Panda stuff. Um, I kind of became aware of them right as I was getting into modular and didn't really want to, I, I was coming out of my pedal obsession and into, <laughs> into uh, modular, but I do want to check some of the, their stuff out because it does seem like right up the alley of what I'm looking for. Um, so yeah, we're getting pretty close to an hour. Um, is there anything that you wanted to cover that we haven't got to yet? I want to make sure we give enough time to, to talk about that stuff too. Oh, no. Um, I can't really think of anything else. Yeah. Okay. I've got like some cool shows coming up. Um, I just got invited to play ambient church, um, okay. in Portland and that'll be on April 8th. I'm excited about that. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be an opening DJ for Finesse and Cameroo on Monday, which I'm really excited about that show. Nice. nice. I don't know if you have many listeners in the Pacific Northwest, but it might be nice to see them at the shows. Yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, it's, it's this coming Monday. Yeah. Oh. It's coming up. Uh, this, this one won't be out by then, but I will have it out for your, uh, your show on the eighth. So I'll definitely, I'll definitely try to point people in that direction. Um, so really quick then, like, 
is there much of a difference between the way you approach like tracking us like uh, a song in your studio versus uh going out and playing live or do you kind of have the same general setup or oh my gosh well that's a funny question because before the pandemic i didn't really do much recording of my music i mm. just was always writing stuff for live and okay. And then once I started recording, I would like use all the tools that are available to you in the studio and like, uh -huh. <laughs> and it got to this point where I don't know how I'm going to recreate this live without, <laughs> you know, using a laptop because, um, I mean, it's all sourced from hardware, like except with the exception of like two songs, which you probably haven't heard that you haven't heard yet because they're on my album that's coming out later. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's like the question right now is that like, maybe for the first time in my life, I'll have to use a laptop um, in conjunction with like gear because there's no way for me to perform I'll look for you and others without one at this point. Like, yeah. it's, it's just, it's just not gonna work. I don't have hardware that can do the things that I was doing on that album in a lot of cases. Yeah, it's always the, that's always like the, the the struggle of like, I know, like, I don't mind seeing laptops on the, on the stage, but I, I understand like not wanting to bring one on there. I don't, I don't really want to either, but I don't really use laptops for anything other than recording. But like, I don't know. It's, if you can create a good experience, I, I, I say do what you got to do. Well, you know? there are things that you can only really do with the laptop. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of music that I love that is fully laptop based. Mm -hmm. Totally. And yeah. Like, I know I think of like Ella, um, like her music is really incredible and I believe it's all laptop based and you know, I'm not going to bat an eye. Like if it, if this is the instrument that you produced your work on, that is completely leg legitimate. And yeah. I, yeah. And I am really glad that people are pioneering on that. I, I, I know a lot of people who are snobs and they're like hardware only snobs. And I used to let that bother me, but yeah. I, I don't care anymore. <laughs> I've heard too much <laughs> great music made on laptops to like, to like take anybody who's like that seriously <laughs> anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not really interested in those, those, those arguments or, or the digital versus analog, which is better. And, you know, it's like, I don't care if it sounds good. You know, I want to, I want to listen to music and enjoy it. And, um, I want to enjoy playing it too. And if you can find a way to enjoy it with the gear that you have, then more but having, having said that, I'm not even sure that I will play the I'll Look For You and Other Songs live. Like I might just mm -hmm. do something completely different for live that actually, you know, is more like what I was doing before the pandemic, which was all hardware based. So I'm kind of figuring all that out right now. Um, do you do much improv live or do you usually prepare a set for, I know you said you were working on like different sets for each time uh, you played. So you'd like develop something and would you riff on it or do you have like a tight set? Um, I, I, I definitely, I would say like for the most part of my life performances, like I have all these sequences that I've like programmed into my Octatrack, mm -hmm. like for MIDI sequences. And then of course on the synthesizers, you can like, you know, do all kinds of crazy modulations and affect the sound design. And, and, and I am pretty good at like changing things up on the fly, like not just being like stuck with the notes that I programmed in. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, pretty good at like knowing like how to adjust the scale a little bit on the fly if I want to. Um, but 
I would say that like there's an underlying like structure there with like the mini sequences, like with the melodies. And then there's a lot of wiggle room though for improvisation. It'll never sound the same. Um, and I have so many at, at one point, I mean, now I, I would have to go back and like look, um, but I've got like so many sequences that I've programmed in there that I can just kind of go <laughs> where I want, you know, like I just uh -huh. sort of explore like the past things that I've written and then, you know, can like pull from different projects or banks and kind of like string together things um, in new ways. Like, yeah, I would say it's pretty flexible, but, and I have done some like fully improv improvisational things where I had like nothing programmed in a for MIDI um, and just on the fly would program stuff. But I personally, I think it's like, okay for novelty, but um, I, I don't think it's, my best work when I do that. <laughs> I I totally agree. Like I love improving. Like I it's one of my favorite things to do. I I love just like kind of going off and especially if you have somebody else that you can jam with and you you can lock in a groove. But it's definitely not the best stuff to listen to. You know for for the for the people on the listening end of it. It's way more like for on from my experience a little more self indulgent and pretty fun. Um, but I think like what you were saying is kind of what I like. I really aspire to is like getting kind of like doing the work, putting in the work to get enough of the, you know, like if you have the sequences done and everything, you can give yourself wiggle room to where you can kind of have your cake and eat it too in that regard. Like, yes, it's structured. So you, there's going to be something for the people to grab onto who are listening to it, but there's also like a playground for you to play in while that's happening or something. Yeah. You can trigger on, you know, different sequences at different times and layer them, um, you know, at different times and put things together that you didn't put together before. And it's, it's just under knowing really well, like the material that you've made and like how it can like fit together properly, you know, in a musical sense. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what I've historically been doing with my live shows, but, um, I don't know, things have been so different since the pandemic. Like I said, I got like way more, in the box like using hardware as a source but then like completely transforming it like in the mm. box yeah but yeah we'll see that can be a lot of fun that's how i started and really got into electronic music and it just was like it was just such an exciting time when all that was new and i was figuring it out all right in lieu of a patch challenge i'm gonna play my favorite track off of patricia's album i'll look for you and others it's called funeral it's deep it's moving it's sad and i'm gonna stop talking about it so you can listen to it
All right, that's our show. Thank you so much, Patricia, for coming on. Don't forget to check out her uh, her field recording albums and her uh, her album, I'll Look For You and Others, and keep an eye out for the new album that's coming out pretty soon. Um, also, she's playing a show April 8th at the Ambient Church in Portland. Um, thank you to Patchworks for their continued support of the show. Head over to patchworks.com for all your synthesizer needs. Uh, thank you to Afterlater Audio for their continued support of the show. The Carve and the Dirty Laundry are still some of my favorite modules, and I don't think that's changing anytime soon. Afterlateraudio.com. And of course, thank you to Tiny Crush Mixing. If you have an album that needs mixed, I highly recommend you head over to tinycrushmixing.com. Uh, what else is there to talk about? We got the Mystery Circles, Podular Modcast, and Friends vinyl digital pre-order starting this Friday, April 1st. Also, if you want your track to be a theme song for a new podcast, my new movie podcast with my friend Devin Riley, then uh, get on it. Send me one at podmodcast at gmail.com. I think that's about all I've got to say this week. I really appreciate you uh, to you know you all listening still. If you'd like to help support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. Uh, that's that's uh, um, until next week this week's secret word for the end of the episode if you're still listening is report card I don't know why but I just saw a report card <sighs> from my past and it, I, I was a troubled youth how about troubled youth now let's stick with report card until next week